Hi, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj. And on this podcast, we're going to talk about some deep stuff. I'm here to tell you that you're amazing. And often, the only person who can't see that is you. No matter who you are, what you do, or where you're from, there's greatness in you. Let's talk about it. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Jamil Sayaj, and welcome to the Transformation Starts Today podcast. Today I have a special episode for you. Several months ago, I was interviewed by my friend, Katana Malinowski, and in that conversation, we talked about the myth of personality and so much more. It was a deeply enjoyable and impactful conversation, and to this day, I keep hearing from people how it's benefited their lives and how it's shifted the way they see their world. And with Katana's permission and blessing, I'm sharing it with you here today. So in a few moments, you'll hear that conversation where I'm interviewed by my friend Katana, and I hope and trust it will serve you. Wishing you the best and enjoy. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are on this beautiful planet. My name is Katana Malinowski, and I am the host of Transformational Art with Katana, making the unmanageable manageable. Welcome. Today, I have with me Dr. Jamil Sayedge, Life, Business, and Relationship Coach. Welcome, Jamil. It is wonderful to have you here today. Thank you so much, Kitana. Wonderful to be with you and with your audience. Thank you so much. Well, today is an opportunity for us to get to know about you and the different transformations you've been through and have helped contribute to bringing about. So the, my first question that I'm going to ask you is, who is Jamil Syed as a person? Mm. Hmm. Beautiful. So um, let's see. Who am I as a person? So I'm going to answer this in a maybe an unconventional way, but who I am as a person is who I decide to be in this moment, regardless of anything that's occurred up until now. Who I am is, in, from my perspective, an individuation of divinity, just like it, I believe everyone else is. And who I am as, a, as I choose to be, I choose to be somebody who fiercely loves, lives, and enjoys life to the greatest capacity that I can. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. You, when you brought up the divinity, uh, you made me think of the book, I am the word by Paul, Paul Sillig. I think you showed that to me in one of our conversations in the past. Yeah. Yes. About um, we are all divine beings having a human experience. And I believe that it was because you you had said that in our conversation <laughs> that that made me think of that. And it, I think it's a a really nice spiritual, you know, um, awareness mm. that we have that energy within each one of us. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. If I may add one thing. Um, sure. And this kind of goes with the first thing I said, that I am who I choose to be in this moment. Mm -hmm. It's not just a me thing, you know, <laughs> we, we can all do that. And I share it because um, I shared this yesterday with some friends of mine, this idea that one of the traps I think we fall into so often 
is the myth of personality. And we think that I am my personality as if personality is a static thing that's unchanging. And then when we say, well, this is who I am, that's just the way that it is. I've always been this way. Then we're going to continue living out this kind of self-inflicted narrative that we made up, that other people kind of participated in the creation of, but we're continuing it, right? And so, you know, who am I? I could have said, oh, you know, medicine and coaching and this and this and this, but that's like what I do. It's not who I am. And so for everyone listening, when we can just detach from those stories we've been telling that don't serve us and we really get clear who am i like actually who's under the like who's what's that animating force under the hood <laughs> and i think it just changes so much of how we relate to uh to our life and to the world thank you yes and that is one of the things that i have been exploring more and more over the past year is really getting down to the clarity of who i am and it was how I did find my purpose of transformational art and wellness and helping people in that way, because I had already been helping people. And so when I took the time to get out of my, my head, really, and start feeling who I was and going, mm-hmm. what is it that, that lights me up and what is it that makes me feel dark, you know, and, and those connections to that divine space that's within us. You know, I'm, I'm very much about spirituality, very in unconventional ways, Mm. but I still embrace uh, the tolerance of, of each way that people want to bring that about in their life. Yeah. And like, when you said, what is it, you know, I'm paraphrasing this, but what is it that lights me up? And what is it that makes me feel, you know, bad, let's say. And as you've heard me share before, like one of my top three favorite words is enthusiasm, which comes from ante theos or entheos, and it means the God within. Mm. And so at least from the way I see things, that this divine spark that each of us is, you being that, you radiating that into the world, you being enthusiastic, right? About whatever it is that you love, what lights you up, that is your unique fingerprint in this world. That's what makes you, you. That's why you being you, living a successful life on your terms. Like I define success as I'm really happy with my life and I love my life. And like, is that you? And if it is, and you're living the life that you believe you should be living, then you're that, that ante theos, that enthusiasm, you're radiating that. And that's you being you. And so, yeah, for, so I'll, I'll pause there because I feel like I can go into a tangent and we're just getting started. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that was leading me into the next question, which is what does make you happy? Mm. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Um, the, the way the question is worded, so there's going to be a lot of unconventional answers, I think, here. Um, <laughs> what makes me happy is me. Mm. And, and when I recognize that, you know, I used to think when I was younger that external things could make me happy and it would be, you know, acquiring something that I've wanted for a long time or whatever that might be. And I had this realization one time that, you know, there are people who have everything I could ever imagine physically having. Mm-hmm. And some of them are really miserable. Yeah. And there's people who have like none of the things that I have now. And some of them are really happy. Yes. And so it's interesting that maybe happiness has nothing to do with any of that, right? 
And so on like a deeper side of things, you know, it's like, I make me happy, but on the more like kind of general idea of it, I really love, I love laughing. I love enjoying myself. I love spending time with people and getting to know them, especially if I can contribute and serve them in any way, you know, when somebody, anyone who's listening to this, that's in, in a way we're all in the service, you know, business, Yes. but when somebody tells you an impact that you had on their life, that was really positive for them, that just touches my heart and my spirit in a way that, you know, nothing else really does. Um, definitely love being in nature. And so whether it's hiking, I spent five years in Arizona when I was in medical school there and just getting to hike. I never hiked a day in my life in New York. And so when I went to Arizona, I got thrown into some of the biggest mountains in the Southwest. And it was so beautiful. And I got into really great shape and I got to fall in love with, you know, the, the challenge of climbing like a 10 or 12,000 foot mountain over the course of a whole day. And then you're seeing the views and you're seeing the progress and it's, you know, it's really good. And so, you know, friends, family, enjoying myself and, and growing, you know, growing and loving, like that's what lights me up. Wow. That's beautiful. And I love the imagery that that brings up when you were talking about climbing those mountains, Mm. because the, you know, not only in the work that we do, where we're helping people transform. So it's, it's in essence, it's like climbing a mountain, you know, you're, you're, you're going up there, but you're, you're helping people bring themselves along. So they're already at the top of the mountain, but you're showing them how to, to see for themselves that path that they themselves can light up. But I've, I was also thinking about the ways that you see everything that's out there that's mm-hmm. yet to be seen. Oh yeah. And it, it's so amazing. I used to live in Reno, Nevada. And so I've traveled around Nevada quite a bit and it's the same way. It's very open. And when you're atop a mountain and you can just see that foreverness, it, it's just incredible. So, yeah. And to your, to, you're going with that, uh, something that came to my mind in the five years I spent in Arizona, I was very fortunate to get to travel around the state. I didn't go everywhere, but I went to a lot of the places that I would have wanted to go. I got, I went to the Grand Canyon twice. I got to, I, I lived in Tempe, which was around Phoenix. And I got to go to Sedona and Flagstaff and all these different areas that anyone who knows the area is somewhat probably familiar with. And I got to camp and we got to hike and we got to explore and we got to go on all these adventures. And you know, not only I made friends for a lifetime, but like the, the, the growth, the experience, the newness, when you expand, when, you're, when your awareness expands as to what's really out there, intellectually, I knew the Grand Canyon was there, but getting to actually be there and getting to see it and people say, oh, yeah, the photos don't do it justice. It's like, yeah, they're right. <laughs> like my eyes, like <laughs> it was amazing like how expensive it was. But stuff like that, you know, that newness. I often tell people who tell me that they're bored or they'll say life is boring. Mm-hmm. And with respect, they'll say it's not that life is boring. It's that you're being boring. Ooh, good point. You know, it's how you're choosing to you might not be doing it consciously, but how you're choosing yeah. to show up, how you're choosing to relate to life. I could sit in my apartment in Arizona back in the day and just sit there and say, I'm bored. There's an infinite number of things around me to do that could be amazing. I'm just not choosing. them. <laughs> and so, yeah, it's fascinating. But expansion is to me a beautiful thing that creates a lot of happiness. And you said a key word there, choices. We always have the, 
the choices to move ourselves forward, stay stuck, or or even go backwards at times. Yes. Yeah, yeah. With that being said, in the converse, part of this question is what makes you sad or angry? Mm. I think that that answer has definitely changed over the years. I think that I used to, it's still, this still happens from time to time, but anger and sadness don't happen as much anymore. Mm-hmm. but they used to happen somewhat frequently. And I used to get like anyone, you know, get triggered fairly often. And I did a lot of work on myself to be with the present moment and be with what's occurring and not be in resistance to it. And when I'm not in resistance to what's happening, when I can come from a space of, as a possibility, what if as tragic or challenging as this moment seems, what if it could be happening for me? What if that when I look back in my life right now in hindsight, and I can see that some of the most challenging moments of my life are the exact reason why I'm able to do all the things that I do right now that I love so much. Once I shifted in that way of being and that perspective, it was very um, rare for moments to really get me angry or sad. But again, when they do happen, I would say um, it's when I forget everything I just said. And when I forget those things, it'd be more frustration than anger. And it might be that there's people that I really care about in this world that I know personally, that I can see are doing things that don't serve them and doing things that are maybe even injuring them in many respects. Yeah. And uh, or potentially are going to lead to something pretty nasty, but it's one of those things that you don't see it in the short term. Right. And I can't predict the future. It might not, but it's likely that it will. And so I do what I can to share perspectives with them and to attempt to help them not go down that path that it, I've seen it over and over again, not work out for people. Yes. And, they, and when they don't, when they don't take the advice, when they don't listen, that's something that years ago really bothered me because I was coming from what I thought was such a loving place and they weren't, you know, taking that, you know, perspective, but as I got older and as I really reflected on it, it's like, you know, it's their life. They don't need to take that perspective. And if they want to great. And if they don't, I'll I'll continue to as much as I can in the non-annoying way, offer it and leave the door open for them to, to walk through when they, if and when they choose to, but yeah, ultimately it's, I, I really care. And because I really care, when I, when I shift from that spirit place to more of an ego place, mm-hmm. I sometimes can think that my way is the right way versus my way is just a way. And so when I come from my way is the right way, I can get frustrated with people and sad when something happens that I thought I could have prevented if they had only listened. <laughs> but that's just the story that you know I run in my head. And so at the end of the day, um, that's pro- that's pretty much what gets me to those points. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> because it is really a perspective, you know, and what we what we perceive to be advice, someone will, you know, oftentimes hear as not as advice or, you know, concern, because I think that's really what I was picking up on what you were saying is you're coming from a place of concern, genuine love, care, and concern. And 
but they're hearing it as being bossy, as being pushy, as being, you know, don't give me advice. You don't know what you're talking about. I know what I'm doing. Why do I say this? Because I've, I've been there <laughs> at different points in my life, especially when I was younger. Oh, I know what I'm doing. I'm invincible. I can do these things. It's okay. And, and if, of course, if, I know better now. Yeah. And if I can add, one of the insights that I came to in my own reflections was, am I really coming from a place of love? And mm -hmm. I sat there and I, and I, and I, when I dove into it, I said, wow, there is obviously concern and what I am saying is love, but there's also, I'm coming from fear and I'm coming from the space of whether it was a family member or someone that I really just knew intimately, Hey, um, it's essentially, it's like, if you don't do this, if you don't act this way on a consistent basis, A, B, and C might happen. For me, it was always, I got into health when I was very young. And so I became this like health fanatic when I was 14. And I wanted to like take care of everybody that I knew, right? And I had this like perspective from 14 to like 20 of just like, my way is the way. Like I know like how to make you healthy, right? And that's, it came from, a, I, I think it came from a good place, but at the same time, there was definitely fear. There was this underlying fear of, if you don't do these things, maybe you get sick, maybe this happens, maybe that happens, maybe you die. And it was like me trying to prevent that from happening, right? right. But going, going with what we said in the beginning, I, you know, authenticity is one of my highest values. And for me to be authentic, another way of saying that is, am I, in alignment is what I think, what I say, and what I do all in alignment. And here I am saying I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. Here I am saying I'm an individuation of, you know, of divinity. Now, I didn't use those words back then when I was younger, but from that headspace, if that's really true, and if that's what I believe in my core, then this is, they're also an individual, an individuation of a divinity, and they're going to make the decisions that they're going to make. And you know, if something did happen to their body, you know, it is what it is. And I can love them through that, but forcing them and coming from that fearful place only made me worse. It only made me suffer. It only made me feel negative. And so once I let that go and I shifted more to a place of what I would consider to be true love, an unconditional loving space. Now there's no forcing, there's no manipulation. There's no, you need to do any of this. This is an op This is an option that's worked for me. It may or may not be the right thing for you, but if you want to try it out, here's how you do it. And if not, you know, I love you just as much and, you know, you do you. <laughs> and that shifted a lot, you know, when I came from that space of not trying to force anymore. That's a beautiful point. Thank you for bringing that up. I have the wonderful fortune of working with Rhonda Burton, life coach. And um, one of the things that she talks about is expectations lead to disappointment. And that resonated with me while you were speaking about that, because it, it, it is the expectation that, you know, if I know this and I'm working this, then you should be, you know, you should be those shoulds as um, many people that I've encountered over the last year, many coaches, it's the, you don't want to shit all over the place. <laughs> it's, yeah. yeah. I was just telling actually one of my clients yesterday, and this goes beautifully with what you just said, your next level of breakthrough will never come from more judgment. It will only come from more or a higher degree rather of self-compassion, self-love and self-forgiveness. But that also applies 
to your next breakthrough with other people. And so there's other people in your life. And like me, when I was doing that before, if you're coming from that space of hidden judgment, like it's, you think it's love, but it's like really judgment. When you're coming from that space of judgment, you're thinking that your way is the right way and that they're wrong somehow for not doing what you think they should be doing. But what if you just did that yourself? And what if you be the change you want to see in the world? What if you be the role model for what you believe is the way and see how that does, how it works for you. And even if it works brilliantly for you, that doesn't mean it would work just as great for them. Right. And so what if you offer it to them? Hey, this is available as a choice you can make, but you let go of the expectation or the attachment to them actually choosing it. And you let go of the stories of what it would mean if they didn't. Because I had so many stories around, oh, because you're not listening to me, listening to me, that means, and then I create a whole <laughs> negative loop in yeah. my head. None of that's true. It's all stuff I'm making up. The stories. But, but of course, like you feel it because that's where your focus goes. And so for anyone listening, if you've got someone in your life, whether it be a child or obviously there's nuances to it with children, but if right. you've got someone in your life that you're without intending to, being a little bit more controlling than you would like to be. And you're noticing that that attempt to be controlling is creating suffering in you and frustration in you and all these things in you. What if as an experiment for the next three weeks, you stopped doing that and you came more from letting them live the life that they choose to live and then seeing what happens. And I noticed as just a, as an end of one from a like science kind of terminology, in my own world, when I backed off and I just focused on me, I'd be speaking to people and the same people that I used to be trying to push into my way of doing things. Now I backed off and I would say, oh, wow, you know, they say, how you doing? You know, I slept really well last night. My energy's good. I'm feeling great. All these things are going really good. And they would say, how about you? And they go, oh, you know, not doing too well. But then like a couple of days in a row of that. And then they would go, can I try that supplement? Or like, can I eat this? Like, you think I should do that? Like, and now they're asking me instead of me forcing it on them. Right. Because they're seeing it work for me. And then it naturally is arising in them. And as a, as a, as a uh, offshoot of kind of like curiosity of, well, something that he or she's doing is working. Maybe I should try that. People are so much more open when the idea comes from them than when it comes from you. <laughs> yes. It, even if it takes a long, long time, and I was, oh, yeah. it took a long, long time to finally oh, yeah. get me to to understand the nudges and you know the, the intuitive hits, everything. It was it just I was on that slow path, but I'm grateful that I experienced what I did along the way because I I really think it made me appreciate what that looks like now. And what I can impart to my clients, what I can impart to the people around me, but from the space of leading and being rather than instructing and advising. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's do the, let's lock hands and do this together. We can do this, you know? Um, so thank you. Um, well, this leads me to the next question. So this this will be really interesting. When you were young, back in grade school, and they would ask these questions, what did you want to be when you grew up? Center field for the New York Yankees. Oh, wow. 
really. <laughs> Baseball was my life up until I was about 14. <laughs> or, or not even about until I was 14. Baseball was my life. <laughs> And then I did, and then I tried out for the baseball team my first year of high school, and it's one of those um, comedy tragedies where it's like I I thought that my tryout went so well, like I walked out of there head held high. I thought I crushed it, <laughs> and then a couple of days I think it was like a Friday, and then Monday rolls around and they have the paper you know on the on the bulletin board or whatever. It's like yeah. these are the names of the people who made the cut, and I, I didn't make it. <laughs> And I was so devastated. And uh, and then it changed everything because a friend of mine ended up saying, hey, like, uh, I'm joining the track team. You want to join? And I'd never ran intentionally, like in my whole life. And I was like, all right, let's do it. That ended up being one of the best decisions of my life. And I had I, all my closest friends that are at least in New York mm -hmm. are all people that I ran with 17, 16 years ago. Like the people that uh, the just like with hiking running it's like yeah you might be competing against other people but you're really competing against yourself because it's really just you and the clock yeah <laughs> even if there's other people you're racing against it's you and the clock and it's like there's so many lessons that i got from that life experiences that changed everything but without going too much on attention uh baseball center field for the yankees is what i wanted to be uh as a kid wow that's it i love that question because it's interesting to see what people's aspirations were, you know, as they were growing up and then where we end up later in life and maybe how that actually transitioned us from one phase to another. Um, I know that for me, I wanted to fly jets in the military mm -hmm. and unfortunately my health prevented that from being a reality but it, it's it's just the that idea i wanted to be the first woman to fly jets in the military turns out i didn't know at the time that i wouldn't have been the first but you know yeah it it, it still was it was there and it but it's motivating and it, it kind of gets back to what we were talking about before when i asked you you know who are you as a person and we were were actually prompted to analyze that early in life. And I just, you know, that, that came up. And then I jumped into judgment because in 2019, my new year's resolution was to be just less judgmental. Mm. I had no idea how judgmental I was until I made a very conscious effort to be aware of it. And then I started to see, okay, if, if something started to come up with someone or something, I would stop and ask myself in reverse, in converse, you know, yeah. would you want somebody to think that about you? You know, no, ah, oh, judgment's showing up. Yeah. But then you start to realize judgment shows up in other ways because the more aware you become, the more you, you realize that it is smart. It knows and can adapt with you. And I bring this up because this is, this is a, a little jump that I'm making right now for myself. I'm transforming my judgments. And so what you, you were talking about really prior to the baseball really prompted that in terms of 
judgment. Yeah. What does that look like? Aside from just, oh, well, I don't like the way that person wears that blue baggy shirt or, you know, how it shows up in other subtle ways. Like when somebody is criticizing you and you're being triggered by them. You know, how there is a form of judgment in there. Mm-hmm. Not only the fear, you know, there's there's fear, there's ego, there's all these complexities that are coming in. So right now I'm on this journey of understanding judgment more. Yeah. Do you mind if I share some perspectives on judgment? Absolutely. I think it could serve everyone listening. And so um, these are just kind of reflections that I've had and things that I've experienced from different mentors over the years. And as I sat with it, I saw, you know, for me at least, how true it is. So as a possibility, all judgment is self-judgment. And when we recognize that that which we judge another for, we're judging ourselves for because we only ever experience projections. We only ever experience that which we are. And so when we're noticing where we're not forgiving, where we're not loving, it's typically where we're not being loving with ourselves. We're judging somebody else because we're judging. We, we, we don't let ourselves do that. And so notice that I think the sentence that you used, I might get a little bit off, but it's something to the extent of somebody criticizes you and then, you know, you get, you feel, let's say bad, but there's a middle step that often gets overlooked by so many of us. And for most of my life, myself included, is someone criticizes you, you choose to believe it, Mm -hmm. then you feel bad. It's not the criticism that does it. It's all because if I say, hey, for everyone listening, assuming you don't have blue hair, if I say your blue hair looks really dumb, you look at me like you, I got five heads and you say, I don't have blue hair. Someone's listening bald right now going, I don't even have hair. Like, well, what are you talking about? Like, like, there's this, like, what are you talking about? There's no offense. There's like, I'm kind of confused. I'm not angry. I'm not upset. Like you didn't trigger me at all. But if I said, Hey, you know, you're a bad dad. And if you deep down have been like working your butt off, but you realize like you haven't really been present with your kids and you've got a fear that you're judging yourself for that you might not be as good of a dad as you want to be. And then I say it that triggers you because deep down you believe that. And now something outside of you seems to be uh, confirming that. And so now you get defensive and you rebel. No, I'm not. I'm a great dad for all these reasons. Right. And that's why we get offended. But that's where I think so much of the forgiving and the work is to be done that where am I not loving myself as fully as I could? Where am I not accepting myself as I am in my totality, in my qualities, my flaws, my attributes, my all these things that I do in this physical existence? Where am I not loving me fully? And I think that every single time you come from that space of judgment, and when I say you, I don't mean you, I mean anyone listening. When you come from that space of judgment, one of my daily declarations that I, that I use is essentially everything that triggers me, gives me the opportunity to love myself, love others and love the world deeper than ever before. My triggers are my greatest spiritual teachers. Yes. And when I come from that headspace, every time I get triggered, it's not what's wrong with you, like the person who 
quote unquote, did it to me, right? Or what's wrong with that situation or what's wrong with the economy or what's wrong with this Russia-Ukraine thing or what's wrong with this? Instead of that, it's like, interesting. Why did that trigger me? Because somebody else, it didn't trigger. So it can't be the thing. It can't be the person. Because that person that you think, I can't stand that person. Somebody else loves that person. Somebody else can't wait to be around that person. So it can't be that person. It's got to be you in relation to them. What's the story that you make up about them? What do they trigger? What do they remind you of? Where are you not? What are you not accepting in them that you're not accepting in you? And whenever they're around, it brings that up in you. And because you haven't done the deep work on it, you get triggered. And to me, that's one of the signs of, if you want to call it this, like spiritual progression, let's say, in your life. When you're coming home to yourself, to who you really are, you don't get triggered as often. And then it happens less and less and less. And the things that used to bother you don't bother you anymore, even though they continue to happen. Because you can't control anything outside of you. And so going back to kind of what we said earlier, like full circle, the more you're trying to be controlling, the less you're like trusting. The more you're trying to be controlling, the less you're focusing on just what can I control? What can I do? I can only ever control me. And if I'm getting triggered, it's because of me. One of my mentors has this beautiful line that I read in one of his books. He's a yogi. And he said, if you have a pot, a pail and you throw it in a well and then you pull the pail up, what comes out of the, what, what's in the bucket? And someone goes, well, water. And he goes, okay, why? And the person's a little bit confused. And he goes, water comes out because that's what's in the well, right? So in that same way, if I throw a bucket into you, Mm -hmm. And when I pull it out, anger and jealousy and all these things come out. Did I do that? That was in you, just like the water is in the well. And so it's not my fault that you were triggered. It's what is it that, you know, how are you relating to the situation? What forgiveness has not been done? Like what work, excuse me, what work is there to be done to free you of these triggers? Because somebody else would not be triggered by this. And people are probably getting this in the context of what I'm saying, but I'm a strong you know, believer and advocate in the power of you know, being a creator of your life, of taking ownership, of taking responsibility, and of commitment. And when I say you know, responsibility, I never mean blame, shame, fault, guilt. I never mean any of those. Right. I simply mean... If your life is not the way you'd like it to be, you are able to respond differently. You are able to change it and make it some way that's closer or exactly what you'd like it to be. When we are committed, like for example, when you say it's my year of less judgment and I I might say, all right, so this is my year of deeper compassion or more understanding. And then with that, I might have a commitment to do that. So I might have a post-it note or I might have a phone reminder that goes off like four times a day, right? And that's my commitment that, you know, seek to understand before I'm understood. I might have something on there that everyone I meet is fighting a battle I know nothing about. I might have another post-it note. My way is a way, not the way, Mm. right? And I might have all stuff like that. And that's my commitment. So my life follows suit. In that same kind of way, if we're really committed to our own growth, Notice that the ego as a way of kind of deflecting away from the uncomfortable 
nature of potentially uncomfortable nature because it's not uncomfortable in and of itself we make it uncomfortable but the uncomfortable aspect of diving into yourself and kind of releasing and forgiving like the wounds and forgiving like that stuck energy and releasing the traumas and things of that nature yes it can be heavy at times and for us to release things like that it requires you know compassion and patience and love and forgiveness and it's not going to happen overnight and it and it can take a period of time and when other people trigger that rather than take the ownership and the responsibility to say oh wow this is work for me to do the ego just says, wow, look at that person. Like, and we just point to the situation that's outside of us, like in quotes, and we say, like, that guy needs some help. And then we don't do anything. We stay the same. And then we go our whole life like that. And that's how, you know, it seems from my life experience thus far, personally, with people I've worked with, people I know, and even people that are far, you know, uh, further along life than me that have, you know, books and mentors and things of that, they all kind of point to that same thing. That seems to be a recurring theme that so many of us go through in life. Like, it's like, what would happen if that changes? So just like, oh, this actually is good. Just like when you said, what makes you happy? And my first said, my first response was me. Well, then I didn't answer it this way. But the second thing is, what makes you sad? Me. What makes you angry? Me. <laughs> Nothing makes me anything except for me. <laughs> and when we take that level of ownership over our emotional well-being, changes everything. It makes it where that's why when you ask me what makes you sad or what makes you angry, I paused because it, it's not often that I feel those things because of this perspective. But right. if I forget the perspective in the moment, then I come from that accusatory oh you did that you made me feel this right and then but because of the awareness that i built up as a habit just over time now like somewhat quickly usually within seconds but it might be minutes or an hour or something it'll hit me it's like oh yeah i'm bullshitting myself <laughs> oh yeah th th that's not true uh, oh yeah like <laughs> I i'm making it about them it's really about me and then you know you do the work and it's there's so much liberation and freedom that i have found that's experienced it's almost like it reminds me of a Nelson Mandela quote, which I'll paraphrase, but something like he gets released from prison and he said something to the extent of, I made a decision to like forgive all the people that, you know, quote unquote wronged me or did this to me. Right. Because I knew that when I left prison, if I didn't forgive, I'd still be in prison, even though I'm not physically in the, like the four walls. Right. And so in that same kind of way, where can I do the work on myself to liberate myself and to free myself so I can have the peace that only I can give me? Yes, there is no greater prison than the prison inside our minds. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a darkness that we fortunately have the key. Yeah. I often tell people metaphorically, it's as if you're in a, you're in a prison cell in your mind Mm -hmm. And the door is locked, but the key is in your pocket. And you got the little, like, it's like a movie. You have the cup and you're just like hitting the bars going like, somebody, please <laughs> like, let me out of here. But the key's in your pocket. And then it's, it's like bulging. Like you can see it. And then somebody on the outside goes, excuse me, sir, ma'am, like check your pocket. And you just go, it can't be that easy. And like, no, and you just keep going and you keep like rattling the cage. Yeah. Another way of saying it, you know, Rumi, he's a Sufi poet. I think it's like 800 years ago. 
Love that guy. And he's and he has a quote where he says, why do you remain in prison when the door is wide open? Mm. Same kind of idea. The keys in your pocket, the door is open. Same thing. It's like we're only imprisoned by ourselves. We're only imprisoned by even and one piece of evidence for this. For anyone who's ever heard of or read the book Man's Search for Meaning by a guy named Viktor Frankl. And he was a physician in the Holocaust. He was Jewish and he was in the concentration camps. And you read this book which is by all accounts insane to think that that could happen. And like somebody dealt with this level of trauma and tragedy and like every day, like survival, like, am I going to live today? All this kind of stuff and watch. I believe it's like his wife and his daughter, they get separated in the beginning and he saw them go to the, like the gas chamber, Mm -hmm. like all that heaviness. And yet he was able to find peace in that experience. And he's quoted to have said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies your ability to choose your response. That the only thing that the Nazis couldn't take away was that, that, that ability, that internal, no matter what you do to me, which again, could be physically horrendous. I'm not like you know, putting that down. Minimizing. No matter what you do to me, yeah, it could be really traumatic. And at the same time, there is a inner peace. There is a there's a level that nobody can touch except for you. That regardless of what's going on around you, you can find it and you can tap into it. And it can be very difficult and challenging, but it's there. And it starts just by at least tuning in, questioning our own thinking, questioning our own beliefs, forgiving, doing all these kind of doing all that kind of work. But yeah, I'll, I'll pause there. Fantastic. Yes. We could actually do many episodes of this nature because I I know I could go on with you. I mean, I love to just ruminate over these different aspects of ourselves and the power that we actually have and, and the abilities that we actually have. All of that inner strength, everything that we need is within us. And the paths that, you know, we often have to take to try to find that key in our pocket, Mm. you know? Yeah. And if I can share just from a perspective for anyone who's listening, who is potentially triggered by something that I've shared, because it can sometimes be heavy, right? And from that headspace, all I'd like to say is despite not knowing you personally, you know, right. ego to ego. I love you. And coming from the space that I want to see you shine. I want to see your enthusiasm, right? I want to see that divinity within. And I'd love to see you bring that into the world. And like everyone else in the history of humanity, you have a story and you have challenges and you have hardships and you've had things that have happened to you and they've been terrible and difficult and all these different things. And, you know, in in a way, hopefully, there's ways you've grown from it. And hopefully there's maybe some lessons you've learned along the way. Maybe you can be a light onto other people so they don't have to experience some of what you experienced. But ultimately bringing it down to, regardless of what's happened to you, if you're listening to the podcast right now, you're probably okay in this moment. And notice that all that stuff is not happening right now. But going back to the why do you remain in prison when the door is wide open? So, and like you said, the greatest prison is the prison of the mind. 
And another way to put that, it's the prison of living in your past. Mm-hmm. And so when you live in your past, the past let you go a long time ago because the past only exists in memory. It's not real. And so when we come from that headspace of, no, 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 but you don't understand, like this happened to me and this happened to me and that happened and he did that and she said this. And it's like, I get it. You've been through some stuff. I honor that. I respect that. And if, if you keep telling that old story, you're going to keep getting more of that. You're going to keep feeling into that. Your, your present moment is going to be filled with that. And if that's what you want, going back to what I said, I'm not trying to be controlling. Going back, if that's what you want, you, you feel you're free to do that. And if you want peace, if you want happiness, if you want fulfillment, if you want to live this life to the fullest extent you can and really get the juice of it, it may not serve you to hold on to your past in that way. You know, what if we were to use our past and not let it use us? Using our past from the perspective of what lessons can I take from this so those same traumas don't happen again? You know, and then how can I, but don't let it use me where I'm now bringing it into the present and it's taking over my now moment. And now I'm really feeling sad and frustrated and depressed and all these things over something that's not happening right now. And that to me, the mind is so amazingly powerful that we can convince ourselves to pretty much feel anything. And so again, as a possibility, as an experiment, as an invitation, however you want to take it, what if you came from a space of forgiving everyone who's ever, from your perception, wronged you? Because as difficult as it might sound to accept, everyone is doing what they know how to do, given the thinking that they have in the moment that looks real to them. Yes. And when we recognize that if we had the same upbringing as them, if we believed the same things that they believed, if we had the same thoughts that we believed, that's the key, right? It's not a thought, it's just a thought. But if you believe it, it becomes real for you. So, you know, it's like, I remember hearing somebody say, it's like the Nazi soldiers in general thought they were doing the right thing because that's, that's their thought. And so, and then, you know, Jordan Peterson was a clinical psychologist, not what he is. And I really, you know, enjoy listening to that man. And I love, he's very intellectual. And, but he, he has a, a thought experiment that he did that he basically said, if I was a Nazi soldier, would I be the soldier that's like going against everything that his whole like country is like kind of believing in? And would I like be the person like, harboring the Jews under like under my house and he goes as much as I'd like to believe that more than likely I'd be probably just like all the other Nazi soldiers and I would just be doing what I'm told and doing what I believe is the right thing given what they're telling me and that's an interesting place to come from because when we come from that space it's always easy to think we'd be like the hero Mm -hmm. but if we take that pause and go wow if I had thought and believed like really dark things I'm capable of doing all those things. Mm-hmm. The only difference is I choose not to. It's not that I'm like different from the Nazi soldier. We're both you. We're in this experience. We're both humans. He's, that guy's also an individuation of divinity, but he forgets it. And he, and he sees it in this very separate, isolated way that's d- distorted massively. And it's like when we can come from that space of compassion and forgiveness that, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And somebody's not going to, I often say someone who's full of peace and happiness and love, they're not walking around killing people. It's like, you know, the bully at school mm-hmm. is probably the kid that needs the most love. And th- I, I don't say that to ever condone bullying. 
I say that because what makes the bully do that? Well, the bully's probably getting bullied at home by his or her parents or siblings and feels no control over, over their individual life and feels like I'm like kind of worthless and meaningless and not important, but oh, look, I happen to be bigger than the other kids. So I can get some degree of status and importance and people kind of fear me a little bit. And I like that. I get it. All of a sudden, I make a distinction, a separation between people are not their behavior. If yeah. people are their behavior, that means people are the problem. And if people are the problem, you can't help them. But if behaviors are the problem, those can be changed. Yeah. And when we recognize that you behave however you behave because of what you're thinking and feeling that look real to you. And that applies to every other person who's ever been in your life. And when we recognize that, this compassion comes over us in my experience of, wow, I would probably do the same thing they're doing if I thought what they're thinking and believed it. So now there's forgiveness, there's compassion. We can release and let go of the past. We can love ourselves fully in this moment. And then we just pay attention. Whenever I get triggered, that's another sign for me to work on myself. And the more I do that, the more freedom I find, the more peace I find. The, and then when I catch myself blaming, pointing the finger, saying it's life or the, whoever else is doing it to me, the more the awareness builds in us, we say, we say, wow, that's not true. And then we have such a profound uh, shift internally. And I find like that's the work for each of us in our own time to do. And like we said in the beginning of the conversation, you know, people don't have to get this right now. You know, there's a, excuse me, there's a man named Anthony DeMello. He was considered to be like an enlightened Jesuit priest. And he had this great story where he said, I gave up trying to help people because it doesn't work. And the student said to him, well, what do you mean? Like, what do you do now? And the priest said, I show up and I rain. And rain, like R-A-I-N, like it's raining outside. And he goes, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, when the rain happens, if it falls on fertile soil, something grows. And if it falls on dry soil, it becomes fertile for a future rain. Right. And if it falls on a rock, nothing happens. And so, and it's like, I show up and I rain with zero expectation of, oh, that soil should be fertile, but it's not, that rock should be soil. It shouldn't be a rock. Like that's nothing to do with me. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do what I do and, and they'll get what they get. So in that same kind of way for everyone listening, whether it's you right now, some of you listening are in your rock phase, no judgment to that. I'm saying things and you're like, wow, this guy's out there. And some of you are hearing things and you're going, I could see that, but you're not like open, open yet, but you'll hear something in like a month or in a year. And what we did now is going to give you the breakthrough then. And some of you are having breakthroughs left and right right now. And this is going to be something you go back and listen to 10 times. And when we come from that headspace and bringing it to what we said in the beginning, releasing the control that other people in our life are going to get it, whatever it is in their own time, when they're ready for it, I don't have to give it to them and they don't have to get it from me. They'll get it from life. They'll get it from somebody else. If they get it from me, they get it from me. Great. But trying to force it is just going to cause misery in me. They're going to go about living their life the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, something you said that really brings my magic forward is the past and being stuck in the past and, you know, coming forward 
that's what I do. That that's that's my unique genius. I have that profound history of abuse and neglect. And I found a way to transform my mindset and reclaim my inner strength just through the transformational art process. And it's a way to take all of that that's stuck up here in the head and bring it out, bring it forward and, and analyze it in a way and manipulate it that you then become in that choice pattern of empowerment versus disempowerment. Yeah, and, and I, really, I really want to just acknowledge you, Katana. Thank you. It takes so much courage to go through what you went through and to find the light after and to come from that, come from that space for anyone listening as well. You know, when you've been through so much hardship and so much challenge, the kind of hardship and challenge that most people might not even really understand because they haven't gone through it themselves. For us to be able to come out the other side and someone like yourself who's using the experience and the lessons and the light that you found to help others along the way, help them out of their darkness. That's such a strong, courageous, like admirable thing. And it's so inspiring to me at least. And so thank you for doing what you do. And um, yeah. Thank you. And to put an end to that, to that section, I really love the concept of being the rain. Yeah. Bringing the rain or being the rain either way. I really like that concept. You're holding the space. Everything else is up to what happens. Yeah. So that's that's beautiful. And and kind of what we said about you know the three different kind of variations I used as it relates to like us right now and the listeners. Some people are hearing it one way, some people are hearing it a different way, and some people are hearing it a different way. But none of that has anything to do with you and I. Right. It has to do with where they're at in their life right now as they're listening. Right. Because as we experience something, it's filtered through our habits, our conditioned way of being, our beliefs, our thoughts, our identity. It's all filtered through that unconsciously. (laughs) And so we're going to hear it in a certain way. You know, that's why, you know, you can go to a party or an event or something and you think, wow, that was such an amazing experience. And then somebody else at the same event goes, that sucked. What a waste of my time. (laughs) How can they have these diametrically opposed experiences? Because it's not the experience or it's their experience, but it's not the situation rather. And so it's that same kind of thing. It applies to, you know, each of us. And I think when we expand that awareness, when it's not just me, it's like, wow, that person's doing what they're doing probably for these reasons. And wow, that person's probably seeing it in this way. It just expands how we show up in the world, how we relate to people and that compassion, in my experience, just kind of flows effortlessly. You don't have to choose to do it. It naturally arises when you start to see from that higher vantage point. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. Well, I, we're going to go ahead and move into the next portion then is what is your unique genius? Hmm. Hmm. I think what I have found over the years 
especially in my work. I think, I think that's what revealed it to me working with my clients more than anything, but my unique genius or like my zone of genius, like the thing that I think allows me to do what I do effectively is my willingness to be love. Mm. And what I mean by that is love to me is a verb. It's not a noun. And when we say love is a process, love is an action. I could ask you, you just fought with somebody and you're really upset with them. And I say, do you love them? And you say, of course. And then you're upset, right? You of course. And I say, is what you just did, were you being loving? And then you pause and you go, well, no. <laughs> it's just like, it's like, well, there you go. So it's like in that same kind of way, my clients have told me over and over again, it's like the love and the care that I share with them, but it's not like in a, in order to kind of fashion. I'm not doing it for a reason. I'm not doing it to get something. It's who I'm being. And you mentioned that earlier, you know, when we just show up and we're not trying to force or coerce, we're like partnering with and leading and, you know, that kind of thing. So in that same kind of way, I think what I've found over the years is just my willingness to love and care at a very, very I guess you want to call it intense, maybe level where most people will tell me I've never been cared for or loved to this degree. And yeah. when I bring that to it, like, it's almost like saying like love is like your spiritual oxygen. And when I bring that and you're the fire, I'm injecting some oxygen into that and the fire takes off, you know? So I think that to me is my, uh, my superpower. Like I love. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, we are coming up on the end of our time together today. So I want to kind of get to these last couple of things. Please. Would you mind sharing with everyone your business, what it is that you do? Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, so every, everything that I do is centered around helping people experience more happiness, peace, and fulfillment in route to creating whatever it is that they want in their life. You know, for me, it's ultimately about creating an extraordinary life without regret. And an extraordinary life to me is a life on your terms. It's not somebody else's version of your life. It's not what your family or society or whatever you quote unquote should be doing. Like all that in my, in my mind is BS. It's like, what do you want to do? What is that authentic enthusiasm that is you? And how can we bring that to the world? What's that thing that you go, I feel like I should be doing this, but I'm not. And there's a lot of thought going on that's creating that and I'm not. But there's also people who are, they are doing it, but maybe they're not creating the results that they would like to yet. Or there's people who they are doing it and they are creating the results, but they want to do bigger and better, like whatever that would look like for them. So it's kind of like different tiers of it, but I work with people along that full spectrum. And you know, I love the metaphor of the time machine. You know, people step into my time machine and we go out into the future. And we get to, we, we arrive at a point where we step out and it's like, this is the picture perfect life for you. This is the career, the health, the relationships, the family, the finances, the whatever, all of that's there, the happiness. And you get a good look and you go, wow, right, this is it. And then we come back to the present moment and I help you make that real faster than you thought possible. And that's what I live for. That's what I love to do. That's amazing. I love it. I love it. I pictured uh, mr peabody and sherman <laughs> i remember sherman <laughs> with the their wayback machine yes um how can our listeners my listeners get in contact with you 
Yeah, yeah. I will take co-ownership. Our listeners sound yes, great. Our, <laughs> it was, you know, it was an intuitive thing. I'm yeah. going to own it. I'm going to own it. It's, it's, it's our good. listeners. <laughs> Love it. Um, so first of all, thank you for everyone who tuned in today. I do hope that our conversation, I really enjoyed it. And so I hope that it was enjoyable for everyone else and that there's something that they could take from it, that they could apply to their life and begin getting an immediate result and begin taking them down a path that maybe they're not on yet, or maybe a path that they're already on, but it can get them deeper into that path that they want to go in. And so for anyone who's like, who'd like to be in contact, there's a bunch of different ways. Um, when it comes to like content and things of that nature, I have about four or 500 videos on social media that I made over the years, as well as different podcasts. I've been on blog posts, things like that. You can get access to all that on my Instagram and Facebook. And my Facebook is just my name, Jamil Sayage, And my Instagram is my name, but the DR is in front of it. So DR, Jamil, so it's Dr. Jamil Sayage. And then on my website, which is just jamilsayage.com, if anyone wants to have a conversation, if there's something going on in your world and you'd like to see if I can be of support, we can book a call on there and then we can see what's going on in your world. What is it that may be holding you back from what it is that you want and see if it's a good fit for us to move forward together. And if it's not, maybe I can point you in the right direction. And if it is, then we, then we go down that path and we make some magic. Fantastic. Well, I do have one last question that I like to ask my guests. And that is, what is one thing you would say to your 18 year old self? Be you. Mm. I like that. There's a whole book that's behind those two words, but be you. <laughs> that's fantastic. Well, Jamel, thank you so much for being here with me today. It has been such an honor. And I'm looking forward to many more conversations with you. And I hope you'll consider coming back and sharing more. Absolutely. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. Well, you have a beautiful rest of your day. And I wish the listeners a beautiful rest of their day. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformational Art with Katana. If you enjoyed the show, please click the like button and share the link to this podcast with your family and friends. To connect with me personally, please send an email to transformationalartwithkatana at gmail.com. Have a beautiful day. Thank you for being with us today. If this conversation served you, it would mean a lot if you left a review and shared this with anyone who may benefit. An Extraordinary Life Without Regret is available to you now. Choose it. It's your time.